You're listening to a 95 BFM podcast. From our studio to yours, it's Various Artists with Francis and Liam. Ahiahi marie, tina koutou katoa, ku Francis toku ingoa. Ko Liam toku ingoa, no mai haere mai ki Various Artists mō wiki. Kia ora and welcome to Various Artists. My name is Liam. And my name is Francis. We'll be with you for the next hour, the day before the election. The day before the election and also Friday the 13th of October, so there's a lot of different vibes going yeah, on today. Yeah, it's, it's spooky in many senses, <laughs> one might say. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be like a nice kind of like fun spooky tomorrow but we'll see how we go yeah we will see how we go we'll be watching with bated breath remember to vote please yes please do go out and vote uh we do have some election themed pieces coming up on the show today if i can coming up on the show i speak to mark amory and sophie jerome about the new book urgent moments on the story of political public art curations in the cultural climate of the mid-2000s i also speak with new zealand fashion designer and wool enthusiast liz mitchell about her upcoming exhibition, This Raw Material. I'll be chatting to artist and advocate Judy Dara about the art in the upcoming election. Once again, vote tomorrow or today. I also chatted to Dan Arps about his Nirvana Park exhibition at Michael Light Gallery. To round off the show, we will take you through the art guide for Tamaki Makoto for this week. He aha o fakaro. we'd love to hear your thoughts on these pieces. So, tukupatuhi mai. You can text us on 5395 Wai or you can give us a call in the studio on 309-3879. We do love to hear from you and know that there's people out there listening into the show. Also, after the show, koia e wariwari e ahiana koutou te whakarongo ki ene kōrero anō he pakihere roki roki marunga i te pai tukutuku o irirangi poho me haere ki 95BFM erakatikom. You can catch all these chats and more by podcast on the 95BFM website. That's 95BFM.com. Should we get into it? Yeah. Only positive critiques. Honest. Various artists. After first occupying vacant spaces in a post-stock market crash Auckland in the mid-1990s, public art curators letting space re-emerged in the wake of the 2008 global financial crisis. Confronted by the thin net of social welfare, the waste of the capitalist system and the climate emergency, it brokered spaces for artists to think and act radically outside the gallery walls. A big and bright new book, Urgent Moments, chronicles these proje- uh, the projects that those artists drove. To hear about the projects, I caught up with editors Mark Amory and Sophie Jerem. I began asking what Urgent Moments tells the story of. Thanks, Francis. Kia ora koutou. Namahiwte Tara. And greetings to everyone in um, Tamaki Makaro and beyond. Uh, this book, Urgent Moment, has, is a chronicle of the, I guess, 10 years pretty much that Mark, Amory and I spent on working with Letting Space and, and many, many artists um, around the country. Most of them were Wellington, but there was a couple of projects in Auckland and, and quite a few in different, in Dunedin and Thopor and Christchurch and Porirua, so actually around. And we have really worked, I guess, outside gallery spaces very much in... Uh, realms that are kind of contested. The word public is something that I, I kind of don't know whether it's a very appropriate word anymore, but it's essentially places that we could we could find community in or generate community in. So very much social art practices. Can you tell me about the political environment at the time you decided to start the project? What was sort of bubbling in the air? 
Well, it's it's funny, yeah. We we were really uh, most of the projects happened over the time of the John Key led national government, and um, so there was a real there was a there was a sense of needing to actually speak out on a lot of things. I mean, a really key issue in the two thousands was really the climate change crisis kind of coming into in, into view, um, and and a real sense that the arts weren't really responding that much to the kind of sort of late capitalist kind of consumer culture, you know, that, you know, a lot of increasingly our art industry was going global. It was about our artists flying around the world a lot, using up a lot of carbon, going to a lot of events and, and not, but not really landing. And we were kind of, I guess, interested in, and in what can we do in New Zealand to, to help artists be a little bit more planted and um, really explore things here. So the projects were very much never about objects, but more about people. So they tended to, you know, as Sophie's saying, a social practice was really around um, how people collected together and did things together. And part of that political environment at the same time were things like the Occupy movement was big. Um, social media was in its ascendancy. And there was, you know, there was some at that stage since that um and, and we used a consensus decision making tool called lumio that came out of the occupy movement that sophie was involved in you know there was a real sense that the digital space actually might provide some tools towards these kind of different kinds of well i call them public spaces so it was very much about new space creation with artists and going well really how do how do artists work outside of the gallery and almost outside of that consumer culture to offer some other alternatives We'll speak about some specifics of some of the projects shortly, but would love to know what some of the public reaction was or engagement with these projects. Yeah, I mean, we tended to find communities to work with, if you like. And so it was less about, I guess, the public and the broader kind of anonymous sort of people who might have encountered it more about, say, I'm thinking about looking at our work in, in Paroa or particularly in Christchurch, we actually went to find people that we wanted, that we understood were doing interesting things themselves and and kind of worked to develop and enhance those those communities. Um, I mean, in in Otatahi, Christchurch, we worked after the 2013 earthquake, sorry, 2011, 12 earthquakes, but it was 2013, we were there in New Brighton, and it was an area of people where there was a re, renew New Brighton group and there were artists and um, and people looking at waste issues, and we brought them together um, under a week-long festival called the Transitional Economic Zone of Aotearoa. And then people in New Brighton kind of encountered that work as they were going about their daily lives. But it was kind of, an, kind of I suppose, we used, used our power as a to sh shine light on those particular communities by bringing them into one. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so people, yeah, well, the, a lot of the work is, was intended to be very accessible. Um, you know, people were very, our artists tend to be quite friendly and very engaged in trying to make things not too clever, but actually involve, involving um, participation for anyone. And, and I think that's one of the main criticisms of the art world I guess as an institution is that it's not necessarily accessible for communities or people don't feel that they can engage with the work uh, did you see those kind of barriers being broken down in these spaces yeah yeah I, I think so but it's it's a it's a tough job to just suddenly go in and crack that open you know what I mean so I mean 
we, we, artists were often deliberately, particularly with like that project in Christchurch and Porirua, which we called the Transitional Economic Zone of Aotearoa. We did these kind of large works where artists would collaborate with each other and would collaborate with community groups and, and do quite bold and interesting things. Um, and you feel like you were just kind of cracking things open and creating new kind of signs, really. Mm -hmm. um, but there was, I mean, and a lot of the time with the arts, you, you do feel like you, you 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 are even if even when you step outside of the gallery and into those spaces and you're encountering politicians and others that you are slightly ignored. But to go back to your earlier question, we had two projects early on that had quite two but really major media responses that were different from another. One was um, the Free Store Kim Patton, who's now the director of Object Space. It was basically a small independent grocery store and that was run by artists and others in, in Wellington that recirculated unwanted wasted produce from the supermarket chains. And, and it was actually in a, a site that was owned by foodstuffs, one of the supermarket owners. And that was that caused a media sensation um, and got a lot of nationwide attention. And Kim went on to do a version of that in West Auckland. Um, and it still runs as a social enterprise in Wellington. I was going to say it was 2010. I mean, so we were kind of doing, yeah, this was set up, and it was a, a kind of an idea. And I think what you know, what Mark's saying is that maybe the art, that art kind of provoked a whole another thing, and maybe it was just a few years ahead of sort of the Pataka Kai that you see around now, and the, there's a lot of those food distribution services. But this was like Kim going, now, nah, what if we actually didn't judge what if we didn't judge who was coming and to asking for food? Well, actually, if we just said this is actually a waste, this is an issue of waste and redistributing waste that the industrial food system has already paid for, and let's not make a kind of you know charity value judgment about who anyone could come and it's, it's keep that cover. Sorry, I interrupted Mark. <laughs> no, but it's a good point because the common theme over a lot of the letting space projects was about waste. It was about an economic system that generates incredible amounts of waste. And sometimes that waste is human waste in a sense. So there are a number of projects that we did which really looked at the way that the economic system was devaluing community workers and um, and also the unemployed. So the, the, the second project that got a storm of media interest and a lot of television and newspaper headlines was Teo Wells as the beneficiaries office where Teo created a PR company called the Wells Group. Um, who set up a PR office to extol the benefits of working less, um, and in particular the benefits of unemployment, and to to and, and he, he very cleverly, I guess, jabbed away at, at the media and the political system, knowing that he was going to get um, a big backlash, and ended up on television with the sort of act MPs of the time, like Roger Douglas, angry, furious, like hornets in a nest, about how dare an artist be paid publicly through Creative New Zealand to extol the benefits of working less. It was it was an incredible, um, yeah, storm to be in the middle of. And obviously quite topical now, you've actually picked up on the two works that I'd picked out uh, to discuss there, I think, because both of them really resonate with the political climate that we're in at the moment, particularly with, with Tao Wells' beneficiary office and looking at Nationals' policy around welfare that works and, and their proposed changes to the welfare mm -hmm. system. Do you think there's space for something like this to be brought out of the woodwork now, or, or how would you see artistic strategies of, of response to the current political climate operating now? Great question. Um, I, 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 I have not thought too much about 
redoing more projects, I guess, because we've moved on. But actually, what's what's what I really noticed at the launch this week was how these projects actually seem much more legitimate. Like Julian Priest's project in two thousand seventeen about testing water samples, like showing people how to test the safety of of water. It, was, it felt like a kind of interesting idea to crowdsource open source scientific techniques but actually now we're seeing so many issues with water coming up um that actually it seems like a sensible thing you know i mean we what i'm saying i suppose is this, this is a lot of the works in this book really talk about things that could be deployed now at, that probably at the time just seemed like follies you know the whimsical ideas so i yeah i, I and i also think that people are getting desperate i mean the the criticism we've had uh, New Zealand has ha is having right now, say from the Guardian and other places, that we're not touching on climate change issues in the election, right? And that uh, we, that maybe we have to start taking things into our hands a bit more as communities. So yeah, I, I think there's actually a lot to be shared here. Yeah, I to took a lot of that. Um, it's very hard, I think, for Sophie and I to to start to tell contemporary artists what they should be doing now in terms of a social practice. It felt like the right thing to do at the time. And I think as our co-editor in the book, Amber Klausner said, you know, these ideas are proving really valuable now, but it, it's hard to see that at the time. I mean, when you're creating these huge independent, well, they seem huge to us, independent art projects, you're just hanging on. You kind of believe in the artists and you're really getting behind them and, and pushing them to be brave, really, really, really brave mm -hmm. in, in, in a very public way. But, you know, you, you also have a, you know, it's, it's typical for all artists, your, your sense of self-confidence over what the effect is, is can be difficult. So, I mean, it's really beautiful. It's a beautiful thing um, this week as we speak to have the book out and to be seeing people really take strength from it. I mean, that really is just amazing um, for us. Um, I mean, I think for, for myself personally, I don't want to speak for, for Sophie, but I think we might be on the same way. We, we sort of went on from our letting space work into doing community-based works where a lot of what we learned, we were applying in our own communities. Sophie's got an amazing, as part of an amazing collective in Brooklyn and Vogelmorn, where there's a community centre there run by artists that's doing remarkable work. Uh, and I went on to set up a radio station and media channel in Paikakariki, where I live, and, 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 and other projects there. And that, that, that work for us is maybe, you know, we, we, we've got things we in terms of wanting to do longer longer projects rather than temporary projects as well. If we look at this book and the story it tells as a whole though, it is a very a very long project itself, I think over seven years. How did you manage to sustain the the projects and iterations for that long? Yeah, it's a good question. Actually Chris Krauss remarked several times that she thought we we were we're kind of despairing the fact that we had sort of run out of steam by about twenty twenty when we sort of started on to urban dream brokerage kind of projects towards the end but yeah seven years and see it is quite a long time for an art collective to continue i mean personally i i'm I, this is a, a tribute to taylor wells who always used to say you've got to acknowledge where your where your funding or your money is coming from your support is coming from and i so i really um really was grateful for my husband um who was working in his own business running an architecture firm and he really kind of endorsed what we're doing and allowed yes you know, brought income into the house um to allow me to work and on this stuff pretty much for next 
but I think as well the momentum did build. So you kind of got inspiration from one artist to another, and we and they kept on coming back with good projects. And then the teaser, the teaser festival idea was sort of quite powerful that we wanted to repeat that. So it was like we we got ourselves into quite a fervor. Mm. Is it how you remember it, Mark? Yeah, well, you run on ideas, you know, you just get sparked by ideas. And I think we're both, in that sense, art community activists and organisers and, and still get very sparked by crazy ideas. Um, and and that, that, is, that is our part, I mean, you know, our part of being, I guess, artists. But I think also just to speak to the sustainability, yeah, we, we, we did this project and, and, and while well, I was in my 40s and... Um, you know, it's the sort of work you might argue, arguably think you have the energy for earlier, but, I, you know, we have both had young kids, and um, I guess that also makes you feel more responsible for the world, perhaps. I don't know. But, you know, um, uh, so our families, as Sophie was saying, were just the most incredible support. But I think it's, um, and, it, you know, back in my 20s, I was at BFM doing your work as an arts producer and presenter, and and doing other kind of media kind of collective work. And I think we came to this project maybe a little bit wiser in a sense, but also bolder and with experience. I, I'd come from running a public um, uh, playwrights organization, Play Market with Crab New Zealand funding. I was used to sort of creating large networks in that way. And Sophie was and other things she'd done and we had each other. So I think, you know, the, the our friendship was a probably you know, up there is one of the reasons we sustained. It's a very special thing, very, very special when you you find a friend who you can, where you can challenge each other but support each other is, is, is an enormous thing. That was Mark Amory and Sophie Jerome, editors of Urgent Moments, speaking with, with me about the book and the projects. If you do have any thoughts on that piece, we're on 5395 on the text machine and we'd love to hear from you. We'll be back soon after these messages. Stay tuned, you're on BFM. The Student Radio Network Awards are back for 2023. We are excited to announce the national awards, including He tohu kahurangi e kawea mai kia koutou nā te reo reka o Aotearoa. Outstanding Achievement Award brought to you by NZ Music Commission. Te tahi toa e kawea mai kia koutou nā independent music New Zealand. Favourite single brought to you by Independent Music New Zealand. Te tohu ko fitinga tangata nā mass. People's Choice Award brought to you by Mass Medical Assurance Society. NZ On Air presents the Student Radio Network Awards 2023. Listen in on air or watch online Saturday, November 4th. The Streets have released a brand new album and feature film, The Dark of the Shadow, The Bright of the Light. We won't talk about this on social media. With a shadow of influence already cast over UK music, Skinner stands up once again to display his trademark lyrical wizardry and beats on the new The Streets album. The Dark of the Shadow, The Bright of the Light, the new album by The Streets, out now and available on vinyl from October 20th and online where good music is found. Burst into Motat Labor Weekend for Nga Meru Meru Bubbles. Get foamy, fizzy and poppy with a weekend of bubble-tastic activities. You can catch a bubble, paint with bubbles, watch a bubble show or even get inside a giant bubble. Plus heaps more. Motat will be bubbling over with excitement suited for the whole whānau. Nga Meru Meru Bubbles. Find out more at motat.nz. 
Guinness Bavellas taking over the Hollywood Evendale for Labor Weekend. And we have tickets to give away to lucky B-card holders. Just listen in to drive all week for your cue to enter. Dennis Bovell at the Hollywood Avondale Labor Weekend. Tickets from undertheradar.co.nz. What's it all for? Various artists. With the election campaign coming to a close tomorrow, we've seen a pretty extreme lack of conversation from the majority of politicians in Aotearoa about the arts and culture sector. This has led to a lot more artist-led action across the Motu with various campaigns calling for stronger support for the creative sector. One of these advocates is Judy Dara, who I spoke to about the election, the lack of arts coverage, and how to respond. Kia ora, Judy Dara, artist, advocate, and educator. What do you think the state of arts and culture within the um, upcoming election, which when this goes to air will be happening tomorrow, uh, the final day of it will be happening tomorrow. Um, what do you think the approach from politicians has looked like? Um, well, there's been very, very little conversation around arts and culture from any of the parties. Um, it's not on the table. Uh, conversations have been, you know, around food and you know, the basics, and um, suddenly arts and culture doesn't appear to be part of that conversation. You know, it's not surprising. We, particularly in Tamaki, you know, we we got blasted from the mayor, you know, um, arts and culture, low-hanging fruit. We have tried to have conversations. We've been part of conversations, trying to tap into some kind of arts policy. Um, uh, There's a feeling it's just... It's just not going to be on the table. Um, and maybe that's just a reflection of everything that's happening economically and everyone's preoccupied with, you know, we've been we've been hammered with floods. And the point is that our arts and culture is such an important part of everything we do. If we're not talking about it and if we're not supporting it and if we're not making noise around it, artists are going to hurt. And I think post-COVID there's, been a lot of conversations around, you know, artists living or not making a living and artists' wages, artists' income. CNC did some research around data on how much artists earn. And, I mean, all of that stuff is it's pretty <laughs> grim when you look at it, but what do we do about it? So there's some really good work being done around this arts advocacy area at the moment. And if you think back to Stop the Cuts, which was a groundswell driven by artists to um, lobby the council and that was so successful that was a really good piece of action so that was quite galvanizing and now we're doing some other action called um, Arts Action Now which is again um, highlighting the lack of conversations around arts and culture and what do we need to do we need to write an arts strategy or an arts policy because we haven't got one. So I'm feeling energised and I'm feeling energetic that there is a shift happening and we are taking ownership because the work isn't being done, so we're just going to have to do it ourselves. We're going to write a beautiful piece of art strategy. We're going to present it to the government, whoever whoever's in, is in government. Here it is. We've done the mahi for you. Here's, here's the work. On the note of the amount of community organising that arts advocates have to go through because, as you mentioned, this year with the mass turnout of the Stop the Cuts movement, which I think became the highest submitted to piece of local government legislature um, that we've seen in Tamaki Makoto, or um, more recently, the Artists Make Tamaki campaign, 
um, that the people at Basement Theatre and Dignity and Money Now have been working on up here. Um, it's all so focused on the artists having to take matters into their own hands and do their own community building since politicians are kind of leaving them in the dust. Do you think that this community building, despite the fact that it's kind of forced, is ultimately more beneficial than just having politicians speaking for us? You know, this is perfect collectivism. This is this is how it rolls, you know, that we we know what we want, we collectivise, we write the policies, you know, this is social action. And, you know, I don't know, we'll probably have to, I don't know who we're going to have to work with in terms of government, we'll just work with you, you know. There's something more important, you know, and, and, and in some ways if we've got the strategy and policy, we form it ourselves and we present it, and so it's it's a, it's formed, you know. Um, it comes from the community, and what I'm loving at the moment is, you know, like um, the this art section now, which has been driven by Rana, which is a regional um, arts advocacy network. You know, everyone across the, mo- the motu is actually starting to work together and the conversations uh, that we're all having are really important um, and we probably haven't had them for some time. So in some ways, you know, when things are broken, which it feels like at the moment, you know, um, it's an opportunity to, um, everything's a bit porous, so it's an opportunity for change. So, you know, we can go through all these structures and systems and um, advocate for change. I think this is a really, really good opportunity for us to grab and to write something really meaningful, and we all do it collectively, and it's diverse, and it's um, based around the treaty and territory, and it's it's real and genuine. What do you think the biggest priorities for artists should be in seeing what we can change within um, government policy? Well... I, I guess we always default back to this idea of um, an artist award. I don't want to use the word income or because, it, it, you know, basic income implies that it's, it's across the whole, um, commu- across everyone. But if we were to focus on how to support our artists, and there are lots of really good examples of of things like artist studios having um, a basic income, you know, like a, a an award or something. And there are, are things that we can do that are already structured in the system, like um, copyright was a really good example, artist copyright, where we defaulted to, well, what we could um, uh, use the system that the copyright licensing, the writers had already established. So we just ponied on to them because they already had the structure. We've got resale royalties coming up, which is a a no-brainer. And again, um, you know, that's a thing that, we New Zealand hasn't had for many years and most countries have had for many years. So there's those little tweaks. There's something, I mean, I'd love to see a, a flat rate for creative so you don't pay um, tax, you know, above 30, if you're earning 30 grand, you don't pay tax. Just little things like that that are already in the system that we can tweak. The, there was the old PACE scheme where artists got paid the dole to um, become artists and just work as artists and didn't have to go through the whole job um, finding process. So we, we do have models and we do have things that are in place that we could just tweak up. In uh, Germany, when people turn 18, they get 200 euro to go and spend on the art. So you go to a gallery or you go to a show or you buy a record. So, you know, you, you're building this community up from the um, for, of young people, you know, giving them the, this gift where they can go out and experience arts and all that money then goes back into the arts community. So there's some really good examples. and. Um, 
you know, Ireland is doing a trial of 200 artists on um, an artist award or income. Um, Norway has some really interesting ideas around how to support their artists, where they have compulsory um, studios and housing that are always for, for artists to live and work in. Um, look, we're creatives, you know. We can be creative about how we can support our artists, you know. I guess within the art strategy that you mentioned before, just remind me what the group was that was working on that that you're a part of. Oh, so there's um, we there's a whole collective of us. That, um, there's arts makers. There's the Rana Group Regional Arts to Tum to Iwi, which is the Auckland Regional Arts. Um, there's some really good people there that that have fired up. I feel like. We're gathering a bit of speed, you know. It's like the trains, sorry, the metaphor, the trains left the station. And people are, are really recognising the need more and more for something, for a vision. We, we, we want to write a vision. And it could be really written by artists, not, you know, crown entities, not by politicians. It could be something really meaningful. How can people get involved in this movement as artists to kind of like join the sphere of advocacy alongside the usual practice it's quite interesting because you know um i guess art and activism does go hand in hand historically you know i teach at um art school and, and i teach the younger generation and it's the conversations i have with some of those students they've got different issues completely different issues you know the the three part-time jobs just to get them through university and then you say well we're gonna have to keep your three part-time jobs just to be a uh, you know, an artist. So all of those kind of realities, and and what I'm really interested in is like an intergenerational conversation as well. Like the artists uh, who are older than me, how can we hear maybe their stories? You know, so we're, so we're all sort of sharing this deep intergenerational um, knowledge um, of how to sustain a practice. This word sustainable, this word well-being, what do these words mean and how do we use them and throw them around? You know, I hear these words all the time. But what is a sustainable arts practice and who's got one, you know? The, the thing we all need to be doing this weekend is put your money where your mouth is and vote. We all need to get out there and vote. Just vote with your heart and then after that, we will start working. We're going to work with whoever is in power. That was artist Judy Dara on the 2023 election. As she said, remember to vote today or tomorrow. Uh, coming up next, we have a quick tune. This is Go Out and Vote by the Nine Eye Express. You are on 95 BFM. Go out and vote. Do it. Traffic fear. 
Posadas with Francis and Liam. So you can go to the opening for more than just the snacks. You are indeed tuned into various artists with Francis and Liam. Uh, before that, we had Go Out and Vote by the Nine Nine Express. Uh, take from that song title what you will, dear listener, but please do go out and vote. Later in the month, Homestead Galleries is presenting This Raw Material, an exhibition featuring contemporary wool craft and bespoke creations by Liz Mitchell, who is a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit. Liz Mitchell holds a prominent position in Aotearoa New Zealand's fashion industry with her specialisation in uh, bespoke tailoring. She has devoted nearly three decades to harnessing the inherent beauty, adaptability and enduring qualities of wool. Her unwavering dedication has established wool as the cornerstone of her design philosophy. Spanning all three rooms of Homestead Galleries, the exhibition encourages visitors to embrace strong wool in Aotearoa as an integral part of their daily lives, fostering a more conscious and sustainable lifestyle. To hear about the exhibition, I caught up with Liz and began by asking her what she's, uh, what she's showing in this raw material. This raw material is my exhibition, which is really showcasing my love and passion for wool. We've got one room which is going to feature my bespoke couture coat and other pieces. So my wool fashion design is probably how most people know of what I do. And I think all through my career, which has been for over 25 years now, wool has always been a fabric that I've worked with, I've loved, and particularly... I think now with a lot of what we do is bespoke tailoring and wool is a very wonderful material to work with in terms of of how one, all its natural attributes, but also it's such a sustainable fabric. It's amazing how clients will come in with something that they've, I've made 10, 15 years ago and they still look amazing. So, you know, it's got longevity, it's a timeless material. So you want really good design and obviously... We are really known for our craftsmanship and beautiful fit and cut and, yes, just attention to detail is, I think, one of our things that, you know, so wool has been always with me and I didn't really appreciate probably its all its qualities and sustainability and things, but, you know, as we've seen the change with the fast fashion industry, just synthetic materials, oil-based plastic materials, which, in fact, don't decompose and you know, people wear, and the sort of, I don't know, con, just such a sort of consumption of all these things that we don't have in, you know, really have any knowledge about actually how how toxic they are actually for our environment and ultimately for us. You've obviously uh, spoken just then about, I, I guess, the, the uniqueness and value of wool as a material, but would you like to speak to the wool industry in New Zealand specifically? Yes, well, obviously, you know, when you think of New Zealand, we always would talk about sheep mm. and say, you know, that there were so many, you know, far more million. I mean, I think there's about 23 million sheep in New Zealand now, and that's a considerable drop in number from what we had before. Because of the impact of the fast fashion and fast homeware, in fact, industry, and the when I began, really, like in the early 2000s, I worked with wool. Uh, Lincoln Re- um, Ag Research and they were developing doing things with wool that they would then give the fabrics to fashion to the fashion designers to create and you know it was, it was really amazing to have that opportunity and also go to workshops which the International Wool Secretariat were, were responsible for bringing out material so that we were given insights about 
colour and trend forecasting and, and you know, just a really beautiful presentations that would come from Europe and from England. So early on in my career, I had these amazing experiences with wool and design. And then sort of 2003, 2004, there was a big change and there was probably the various things that impacted on farmers. They sort of felt that this, what was being spent was not really adding value to what they thought was important. And so really, over that time, the focus became more on wool being a commodity and just selling wool to the international markets. Now, initially, that was okay because the price of wool was, was higher. But then over the last you know 20 years, the domination now of like synthetic carpet industry, um, all these materials that are muddled mixes of you know, polyester, viscose, linen, acrylic. So that has, and of course, price-driven, that these mm. are cheaper products, or they appear to be cheaper, but the people that manufacture them have never been made to be responsible for the end of life and the consequences of what those materials were. So I think the, the wool industry kind of saw wool as this commodity, and then as this change in market consumption and the consumer buying these, you know, fast and easy and, you know, they would be sold, nylon carpet won't fade, it won't, they would then, you know, be sort of, and it would be a price of, as they would appear to be an affordable price. So people would then, you know, switch to using these synthetic materials in their homes. And then the price of wool has become lower and lower and lower. And so now, the raw fleece is $2 or less. This is for the Romney wool. So 80, 85%, 80 to 85% of our sheep in New Zealand are Romney, mm. which is the stronger wool fibre. And they are they really suit our environment, which is wet, whereas the merinos are the high country um, stations. They they like a different kind of climate. They can you know be higher up and things, mm-hmm. and so we're predominantly the strong wool. And now it costs more to shear the sheep than the farmers return mm-hmm. for the wool. And so that consequence, I mean, you know, fortuitously, you know, the price of meat, you know, sheep meat for export has gone up, and so there's still a return for farmers to that they get from the meat industry, but the wool industry has really suffered. On that change in export price and and change in export good for farmers, you have recently been awarded a grant from the Agricultural and Marketing Research and Development Trust to reignite engagement with wool because it used to be one of of our greatest exports. Can you tell me what you've done with, with those funds? Over the period of COVID, I had connected with the AUT University in Auckland and they have a textile hub and I was I had a vision so I make beautiful coats and I would be importing fabric from Harris the Harris Tweed and Huddersfield Cloth these beautiful chunky tweeds and I just thought why can't I make why can't we make this in New Zealand because you know no doubt some of them are actually using New Zealand wool which is exported to England or to Scotland and so I just and I had connected with this sheep station who had a small um, flock of coloured Romney sheep and I got the wool fleece 
fibres, different colours. And my sort of idea was I would get it woven and make my own kind of like a Harris tweed, strong wool tweed, with all but all made in New Zealand. So um, that was kind of what got me started. And so one of the things that I was doing was going to AUT and I discovered needle felting which they had a needle felting machine and you could create the most amazing textiles with wool and patterning and making designs and feeding it through this needle felting machine. So over the last, you know, over the period of the lockdowns and I had some time where I was able to go in and use that machinery at AUT, they closed their lab at the end of last year and I had really found you know that this was a really amazing kind of you know machinery to work with and what you could do with it and particularly with strong wool and thinking about ideas I mean I've got so many ideas about different things that we could be manufacturing but because the machine they closed the lab and we attempted to you know we thought well maybe we could buy the machinery but really the AUT have kept it and they you know it's now they've um, it is actually available for the students at AUT to use again. Um, recently, it's reopened. But over so at the beginning of last beginning end of last year, beginning of the year, I thought, well, it would be really amazing to set up a lab which would be available to have some machinery with the felting technology, and be able to one do the work that I've been developing, and also have it available for others, so other artists and students and industry so that they could develop the products and things, you know, just have it, yeah, because of the fact that the AUT lab was no longer available and it was used both by the students but also by people in the wool industry that wanted to experiment and research ideas of design development. So where are you setting that up? Well, the wonderful thing is that I had also organised to have an exhibition at the Corbyn Estate Arts Centre in Henderson, which is taking place from the um, October the 27th to the 9th of December, to showcase my wool journey. And I spoke to the to Luana and, and Melina and said, because I was aware that there were different art studios at Corbyn, and I told them about my ideas for a textile hub to research natural materials particularly wool with and around particularly around felting and they were really excited by so I'm going to have a space at the Corbin so we've just nearly it's taken ages because we had to import machinery from America and that's taken time and they had you know they were having issues in the states with heat and different things but um weather issues and so um the machines are here they're going to hopefully be installed in the next week at Corbin so we'll be setting that up and so um it's going to be a space for workshops for you know just a research and development and creativity around wool. Hey Liz, we're almost out of time, but just to wrap up, could you quickly run through some of the public programming events that you're putting on as part of this raw material? There is on the opening, is on the Friday night at Corbin's on the 27th of October, so that would be really amazing for people to join us and just see what we've been doing. Uh, one of the rooms is an exper- a wall experiential room, um, and so that's part of our education kind of program. On the 4th of November, Saturday, there's an artist talk 
with me and there will be a tour and then there will also be a workshop that afternoon. There's also a lovely knitting uh, workshop that will be happening that day and then we're planning some further events. So we really want to bring in architects, interior designers to see some of the potential op- you know, ideas that, that could be you know, yeah, really to kind of want to connect with different groups who sh- would be, wool should be part of their absolute material that they, that they focus in on, on finding really great solutions for making a healthier world. And a- That was fashion designer Liz Mitchell talking about her upcoming exhibition at Homestead Galleries. If you're also a wool enthusiast, you can let us know on 5395. You're on Various Artists. We will be back after these messages. Citizens of Auckland, prepare for the event of the year. Get your geek on at Armageddon Expo. New Zealand's most exciting gaming and pop culture event of the year. Meet stars from Star Trek, The Last of Us, Mandalorian, Walking Dead, Tokyo Ghoul, Tokyo Ghoul and more. Plus huge gaming displays, collectibles galore, anime, K-pop, cosplay, pop culture, collectibles and so much more. Armageddon, Labour Weekend, October 20 to 23rd at Auckland Showgrounds. Tickets on the door or go to iticket.co.nz. Hey, what's happening at Ponsonby Social Club this week? Ponsonby Social Club presents Asian Soundscapes, a month of Pan-Asian ecstasy, Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays in October. The very best local Pan-Asian creatives are set to immerse you in a rich tapestry of Pan-Asian music, comedy and culinary delight. Featuring Angela Dravid, Club Ruby, DJ Karen Tahir, Phoebe Rings, Ray Leslie, Scalper and heaps more. Plus a special kitchen pop-up by Naaman and the Strawberry Pig. Asian Soundscapes at the Ponsonby Social Club, Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays. Saturdays this October. Tickets available from Under the Radar. What can I get for you? Yeah, can I grab a funky wasp? Smooth or seedy? Just how it comes is fine. So quite a complicated... A complicated... Quite a complicated drink then. What? Yeah, I've got to be 37.50, mate. Actually, just make it 37, because I like your attitude. Cocktail Corner, 5.30 every Thursday on 95BFM Drive. Thanks to Boutique Connection, connecting you to Boutique Wine.
the election theme that was Undecided Voters by Kiwi Jr. If you're an undecided voter, head over to policy.nz for some good little information for you. Oh, don't suffer for your art chat. Various artists with Francis and Liam. Opening next Friday at Michael Lett Gallery is Nirvana Park by Dan Arps. The exhibition is inspired by the various industrial reserves found around Tamaki Makoto, particularly the titular Nirvana Park found in Linfield. The sculptures in the exhibition that I aim to combine the desolate atmosphere of one of these reserves and ask about what these what else these spaces could be used for. I had a chat with Dan about the exhibition and what inspired it. Nirvana Park is a reserve in um, the westish Auckland suburb of Linfield. I quite often go past it on the bus, and since they've started announcing the stops, uh, every time they go past, they announce uh, Nirvana Park. And uh, just the name of it was quite interesting to me. So a couple of times I got off the bus early and sort of had a bit of an explore and it's sort of uh, really just a big uh, electricity substation and uh, some kind of rolling hills that uh, lead down into a big storm drain. So there's kind of nothing there. And my work in the show is loosely a proposal for something to do in Nirvana Park or it's uh, trying to kind of implicate Nirvana Park in the project somehow. Yeah, I, I just, I'm interested in the title and the, the kind of the range of meanings that it might have and kind of play of ambiguities and sort of it's something strange about it, that I think. Were you kind of trying to go for a bit of a spookier atmosphere that you'd tend to find in these parts of West Auckland? Yeah, well, I've, my work has been interested in the psychology of place and the way that place uh, influences us and helps to form us as people for a long time. A lot of it is has always been that kind of spookier side of um, Auckland and the particular kinds of desolate spaces that um, we're so good at creating. Um, yeah, so yeah, there's, there is something kind of spooky about it. But also I'm kind of interested in the way that it, um, so much like that it's spooky is so much that it's empty and that it's kind of ripe for somebody to do something with it it's not just it being desolate are you kind of aiming to see a bit of a blueprint of what could be put in these spaces with this exhibition yeah i think loosely i think it's it's loosely there and it's loosely kind of just riffing off the feeling of the spaces and the kind of spaces they are and um trying to get something of the space in the in the gallery as well how do you kind of transfer this over to um, the space of the gallery from the like very vast outdoorsy area of yeah. the reserve. The, the main the main work in the show is a piece called Pavilion for Nirvana Park, and it's made out of recycled insulated panels for commercial fridges. And it's kind of like a large. I guess it's sort of like a the sort of thing you'd make for a public sculpture, um, that kind of thing. So. I guess I'm just kind of like making something that would be appropriate for the space, but also appropriate for the gallery space. How does this differ from your previous work, would you say? It's really a return for me because for the last kind of several years, I've been, uh, I guess, making uh, work at a more domestic scale and trying to, um, trying to make objects and make things that sit on the wall. But my background is really in 
uh, installation and sculpture. So when I was much younger, I was very interested in found objects and in making messes. And I feel like this show is much more in that in that line of I don't know desolate space and mess and um, uh, I guess a kind of a loose association between things rather than something that's like super tightly constructed. So when will this exhibition be opening? It opens on Friday the 20th of October. The the new space on East Street. It's an old uh, church, I believe, or an old theatre and then a church. That was Dan Arps chatting about Nirvana Park at Michael Ed. What time is it, Liam? It's time for the Art Guide. It's the 95 BFM Art Guide on various artists. It's paintings in that. Ramere Friday the 13th of October, spooky. that is spooky, that is today. Art Week in the City Centre continues until Sunday. Head along to their website to check out what's on for the last few days. At Artspace Aotearoa on Karangahape Road, Caring for Contemporary Art with Claire Olsen is running from 10am until 3pm. Do note that a subscription to the kit, their new artist resource, is required to go along to that. King Bitch Traverse at George Fraser Gallery on Princess Street is also closing tonight. Also tonight and tomorrow, Code and Chaos is on at Basement Theatre. Seeing host Jane Henry invite a variety of performers to discuss AI in the arts and feel a wee bit of existential dread. Tonight at Holy Trinity Cathedral in Parnell, the CMNZ series Reimagining Mozart, a new arrangement of Mozart's Requiem by Robert Wiramu is brought to life by the internationally celebrated Voices New Zealand Chamber Choir and instrumental ensemble under the direction, uh, direction of Dr Karen Grills. That is 8 till 9pm in Parnell. Tomorrow on Rahuroi, Saturday the 14th of October, the Vintage Market is on as part of Auckland Heritage Festival 2023. Join them at Pahom said for a celebration of crafts and creations from yesteryear with their vintage market which, is, which again held as part of the Auckland Heritage Festival that is on from 10am to 2.30pm at the Arts House Trust. Also closing tomorrow is Robin Kahukiwa's Tangata Whenua exhibition at Susan Gallery Ian Scott's Asymmetrical Chevrons at Michael Lett, Unearthly Delights a group exhibition by Nicholas Ives Jeremy Pierre and Close Summer Street at Sweet. But most importantly for tomorrow or today, you should just go and vote. Go do, vote. Do all those other things, but first make sure that you go vote, please. Awesome. Also, <laughs> another thing, after you vote on Sunday, uh, if you need a little bit of a chill-out zone, the good people at Parallel Bookstore have got a little post-election chill-out at their space on Kanangahape Road that will be on from 12 till 2 p.m. Rapere, Thursday the 19th of October, there is an exhibition opening at the Gus Fisher Gallery for Outcast, the first collaborative exhibition between Jasmine Tongo, uh, Togo Brisby and John Veer. That's opening at 5 p.m. and all are welcome. If you have anything you'd like to get on the art guide, do feel free to get in touch with us. We're on the emails, arts at 95bfm.com. That was the 95BFM Art Guide. Various Artists with Francis and Liam. Koera te hōtaka katoa mō tēnei wiki, ne te mihi kia koutou katoa, e kōrero mai ki o mō tēnei rā. That's all for us on Various Artists for today. 
Big thanks to all of those who chatted to us on the show. On my end, we had Judy Dara and Dan Arps. On my end, Mark Amory and Sophie Jerome, and also Liz Mitchell. Nato hoki te mihikia koutou e whakarongo ana. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's been lovely to have your company. Remember, you can listen back to all those chats and more at 95bfm.com. One more time, please remember to vote either today or tomorrow. Make sure that your voice is heard and make a better tamaki makoto and aotearoa for everyone. Ka hoki mai matua a tairawaki. Next up is Land of the Good Groove. You are listening to 95BFM. Both. was a 95BFM podcast. Support 95BFM with a B-card. Go to 95BFM.com slash sign up.